appreciate everyone's help with our worship so far and just the participation. And I know we have some visitors. We have a couple of new people. It's good to meet meet you. Um, and we have a couple of people that maybe haven't seen a little bit, and it's good to see you. Uh, a lot of people have been sick, and people have been getting better, and then other people in the same household have been getting sick. It's just a kind of vicious cycle. That's just kind of how it is this time of year. But I'm uh, really glad that we have people that we have today. Um, keep in mind, everyone that's traveling, I know there are several. I don't want to start listing because I think I'll miss someone. Uh, so just look around, and maybe if you um, if you don't know where someone is, doesn't hurt to text them. Say, hey, miss you today. Hope everything's okay. Uh, maybe they're just traveling. Maybe they're sick, or maybe they're just kind of struggling a little bit spiritually. Um, so I, I think that's really important for us to do that. Um, appreciate the song that, uh, that Scott just led us in. That's going to lead into our sermon pretty well. Um, I don't know if he planned that or not. Uh, probably did. But um, I'm going to talk about how much people have an impact on us and how much we have an impact on people. That's what I want to start thinking about, at least. You know, there, there are people that truly leave imprints on us, and we leave imprints on other people. There might be a lot of friends that do that, so it's kind of a mutual impact and imprinting, if you will, like, you, you do that as you get older, you know, and you kind of notice if someone doesn't change as you get older, maybe doesn't mature or something like that, they kind of get a little bit left behind. It's because, like, they're unwilling to be impacted by their surroundings and by people, by growing up. But I want to think along the lines of other people that have maybe impacted us. And that's people like more in a, like an authority figure, like parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, maybe teachers or coaches. These people leave impacts on us. They truly leave like an imprint on us. You know, it's interesting when when uh, when Liz and I have gone back to visit my family, she's noticed where I get certain things, and uh, sometimes not always good things. Especially when we go visit my grandparents. Now, I'm not fully like my granddad, and uh, I love my granddad, but I don't need to be acting like an 89 year old man right now. So that's a good thing. I'm not like my granddad right now. But there are some things where, like, she's kind of pointed it out and been like, I see it, you know, I see it. It's because he's left an imprint on me. You, you probably have that too. It could be a parent. It could be someone else. It, it happens all the time. And it's funny how we can get to know one another, and then we get to know someone that has been a mentor, meant a lot to, to our, the person we're close with, and then we just see it. We're like, I, I know exactly, like, your facial expression or your response, just your whatever it is. I see it. You get it from this person. That happens all the time. Um, we, we probably have made impacts on those people, but it, it's not near the impact they've, they've made on us. Well, I, I want to talk about that from a different vantage point, because that, that relationship, that closeness that we have with those people, that's what leads to them truly having an impact on us. And if we want to have an impact on other people, um, especially those that are maybe younger than us, like if, if, you know, we have people that are expecting right now, we have a couple people that have kids right now already. And like, if you're wanting to have an impact on that child, like you can show them certain things, but also just your closeness in your relationship is really what causes that impact. Um, it's the same with God. And the way that God talks about his impact on us, I think is actually really interesting. So instead of just thinking about how much we are changed, First, I want to start about the root of what causes our change, and that's the fact that we are to be in Christ. Um, 
the phrase in Christ or in Jesus or just in him, but it's referring to Christ, is used at least 86 times in the New Testament. And sometimes it's like a, a half a dozen times in just a couple verses, but that's a lot of times for God to be communicating to his people about what it means to be in Christ or what you already have because you're in Christ or you need to be in Christ because if not, then this happens or you ought to be in Christ because of the blessings that you can hope for. This idea is, is really, really impactful that we can be in Christ. And then what that does is that causes him to be in us. So therefore, he's made his imprint on us. But first, this closeness has to be there. We have to be in him. So if you think about, like, for instance, my granddad, like, I'm not in him, and he's not in me, but in a way, he, he is, right? And you can see it in how I live. Or you can see it in, if, if I tell, like, my, my story from when I was younger, something like that. Like, it's, it's going to be the same with, with Jesus. It's going to be the same with God. Like, our closeness with God is going to be what causes change. I said that it's used 86 times in the New Testament. It's used 20 times in Galatians alone. I'm going to start with just three questions. So these are three questions that we're not going to necessarily answer explicitly, but I think that we will answer these questions implicitly throughout the lesson. The first is, in what ways does God bless people in Christ? Like how has God promised to bless and how does he currently bless people that are in Christ? Second question is, how can I be in Christ? And the third question is, how does being in Christ change me? Okay. So these three questions are really important, and we're going to answer those as we go. The first one is important because if God is going to communicate what it means to be in Christ 86 times at least in the New Testament, then obviously we need to take notice of that. And if we're going to notice all the things God is doing for those that are in Christ, then the next question kind of obvious. Well, how can I be in Christ? But as we go, just like I said, there's a mutual impact that we have on people and they have on us. The next thing is going to be true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, is, well, how does that then change us? How is he to be in us? And so we'll talk about that towards the end of the lesson. I thought this could be helpful. This is going to be, this text is going to be too small, so I'm going to try to, like, read it all. But these are all the examples of in Christ in Galatians alone. It's, a, it's at least 20 times. I counted 20. You might be able to find more. There's so many times where Paul is saying in Galatians that, like, you need to be in Christ, because in Christ, this is what God is doing, okay? Or in Christ, this is what is accomplished through his blood, through his sacrifice. Um, he's talking about how the Jewish and Gentile, like, uh, divide is now broken down. And so there is no divide anymore in Christ. There is a divide in the law. There is a divide in the culture. But in Christ, there's no divide. He talks about all the different things we have. And we're going to look at a few of these. But this is, this is a long list. And this is just in Galatians. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, read 3 through 14, and just count how many times Paul is saying, in Christ or in him. It's a lot. This is really important for us to know. That, so some of the stuff is going to be reminders. You already know it. And so you should use some of these points as just like encouragement to build you up, to have confidence in what God is granting and promising for those that are in Christ. This is also a little bit of a, of a check for us to just say, hang on. Am I in Christ? So those are the two things I want to accomplish today. A few other things before we actually get to the actual points I want to make. Just as a reminder, because we're not going to touch on all of these, here's a list of things that we are in Christ. We're a new creation. 
We are created for good works. We're the fragrance of Christ. We are God's word to the world. We're living epistles, if you will. We are fellow workers in Christ. We are the church. We're just saying we're one body, one church. We are able to grow, and we are thankful in Christ. What we have in Christ is we have redemption. We have sanctification. We have no condemnation in Christ. We have eternal life. In Christ, we cannot be separated from God if we are in Christ. We have freedom and liberty in Christ. We have a reason for boasting. We have full confidence. Is there anything you feel fully confident in? There's nothing in life I feel fully confident in. Um, part of that's because I, I always wonder what's the negative that could happen. But just in general, like I'm not fully confident in anything. Um, but in Christ, we can have full confidence. We have purpose in Christ, and we have the grace of God in Christ. What that also means is all of those things and all the things we're going to look at, we do not have apart from Christ. We only have them if we're in Christ. So we're not redeemed. We don't have eternal life. We don't have um, freedom and liberty. We don't have any of those things if we're not in Christ. First thing I want to do is I want to point out that we are reconciled to God. Um, sorry, th this was just another list. I thought of just like, I just wanted to leave you with, with a clear um, takeaway that being in Christ is just in the New Testament a lot. So here's in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. This is just some of them. Like this isn't even all of them, I don't think. I just underlined um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. There's like 10 to 12 just in those nine verses alone. It, this is a lot. All right. Well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. Let's open up. I, I know we've had a lot of stuff on here from the Bible, but let's get into to our, our Bibles in front of us. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read just a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to start in verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, so what Paul is doing is he's kind of defending his ministry and his work. But what he's really just doing is trying to show the contrast of those that are truly preaching Christ and those that are not. And he's like, we've concluded this, that like the love of Christ controls us. We don't just preach to gain things in this life. We're not commending ourselves just so that we can boast, but rather this is really about spreading Christ. And what he eventually goes on to say is he says that in Jesus, he says that he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's continue in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So because we know this about Jesus, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a few things in there that I want to point out about what we have in Christ, but the biggest thing is we are reconciled to God in Christ. Like Paul is making that very clear. We were separated from God. We were the ones that are sinners. He sent Jesus to become sin or to become a sin offering on our behalf. So we are reconciled to God. I, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but there have been times in my life where I haven't felt separated from God. I don't know why, I just, I guess I just assumed that I was one with God, especially when I was younger. And then I think that the, the more you live, the more sin becomes real for you, the more you realize, no, I'm very much separated from God. Like, I am at enmity with God. I'm his enemy because of my sin. So look what God did in Christ. He reconciled. It doesn't say that you reconcile yourself through Christ. God has reconciled us in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are reconciled to God. We are one with God. There's a couple other things that he says here. He says that, and we'll talk about the, we're a new creation in a, in a little bit, but he also says that in him, we become the righteousness of God. See, this whole problem with sin makes us never be righteous before God. We're always separated with God. But in Christ, now we're righteous. We talked about this in, in the book of Romans a lot, how that's really Paul's argument. That's Paul's main point, is that you cannot be righteous on your own, but God considers you righteous through Christ, because he is righteous. So that's really Paul's point here. But he does tell them to do something, right? This is not just something he's saying, you have this, just, just accept it. You see what he says here? He said, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So there's what God is doing in Christ, there's his guarantee that you are reconciled to him. You're one with him. You are considered righteous before God. But he does give them instruction. He says, you need to be reconciled to God. That means there is something on our part, right? That doesn't mean it's our part is equal with God's part. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But it, I think it's pretty clear. Like, you need to do something to be in Christ. You need to be reconciled to God. That's what he's saying here. So this is only for those that are, that are in Christ. Sometimes we sing a song in Christ alone, and I, I really like that song a lot. Here's just a few words from that song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Okay. And then it says, till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. That is a very... I don't know, motivating song. It, it lifts me up when, I, when we sing it, and it gives me a lot of confidence. But I, we need to be very careful. I need to be very careful that that confidence, that uplifting, is not somehow confused with based on myself or something that I have done, right? Because it's God that is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. So in Christ alone, we stand. In Christ alone, we are considered righteous. In Christ alone, we're reconciled to God. Another thing that I think we see is that in Christ, God 
recreates us. So we already read that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're a new creation, right? We are a new creation in Christ. But I want to go to Ephesians 2 now. Some of the verses are on the screen, but in Ephesians 2, we're going to back up a little bit and start in verse 1. So Ephesians 2, Paul is, again, just talking about what these Christians are. He's not making an appeal to those that are not in Christ. He's just reminding those that are in Christ what they already have. He begins in verse 1, and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what we were. That's what you were. That might be what you are. But then he says two things that are really, really important. Two words. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things in Christ that we have. I'm just going to focus on 8 through 10 here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Christ, God recreates us. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And here he says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Though, But like we have to be created new. This whole thing he says in 1 through 6 where he details how terrible, or 1 through 3, excuse me, where he details how terrible we once were. We once walked according to our own passions. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Like that's who we are apart from Christ. So I need to put that away be created new in Christ so that then I can be his workmanship. The image I get in Ephesians 2, especially when he says we are his workmanship, is really like God has shaped and fashioned us in a different way than we once were. Like at one point, let's just say I was like a, a teacup or something like that. That sounds weird. But let's just say I'm a teacup, you know, uh, short and stout, I guess. Um, and so let's say that's what I was, and that's all I was good for, okay? But now... God has broken that teacup. He's broken me. He's like melted me down or whatever. And he's made me into something new. A new vase, a new creature. Built for something different. Made for something different. And what are we made for? We're made for good works. We're not made for selfishness. We're not made for self-righteousness or glorification. We're made for his good will. So he can put us to use. Before, I was useless. I was not worth anything to him. But I was worth enough for him to send Jesus so that if I am in Christ, I can be created new. That's what we are. The hard thing is sometimes we still have memories of what we once were. We think that's all we were. We, we think that's all we are. Well, our problem then is either I have a misconception about what God has done in Christ or I'm not fully confident that I'm in Christ. And we have to answer those questions within ourselves. We need to understand truly the reality of what God has done in Christ, but maybe, maybe I need to take a step back and be like, am I truly in Christ? That's a really, really important question. That's not something that is a silly question at all. We're created for something different. 
because we're in Christ. The next point that I want to bring out is that not only are we reconciled to God, so now we, we have a relationship with him, not only are we recreated, but now we're children of God. In Christ, we are children of God. Or we, I thought about saying we can be, but that's not true. It's not in Christ we can be. In Christ, we are. We are children of God, sons and daughters of God in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, I won't make you turn there. I think all the verses that I want to look at on the screen. But in Galatians 3, he says, But now that faith has come, which, by the way, in this passage, he is talking about the, the law versus faith. And he's saying faith has come because Jesus has come. He says, But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. The old covenant was a guardian. It was good. It was valuable. But it was only for a time. Now you have Christ. Now you're in something different. In Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. You could debate whose faith that is, but I think it seems like it's our faith. You could say, well, it's because of Christ's faithfulness that now we're sons of God. Maybe, maybe you could read it that way. I, I look at it and I think he's saying that through our faith, we are sons of God because we are in Christ. Because our faith is in him. But then he goes on to say, as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So you see, we, through faith, and then we put on Christ in baptism. Now he says there's, there's no Jew or Greek. That's a big deal for those people to hear that. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. Think of anything that separates, anything specifically that you think separates you from God. In Christ, because of your faith, because you've put on Christ, there's none of that. None of that. And also, there's nothing that separates us from one another. It says you are all one in Christ. Like, I think that a lot of us in here have a lot of good relationships, a lot of things in common and all of that. We have so many reasons to not be friends, though. I mean, I love you all, but we have a lot of reasons to not be friends. We have a lot of things that we don't see eye to eye on. None of that matters, though. <laughs> we have a lot of things that, like, you care about that I could care less about. But I care about you, so therefore I, I try to care about those things you care about. And it should be mutual on that. But but the only thing that really matters is that we're one in Christ. Who cares if you don't like sports? Who cares if you're more artsy? Who cares? None of that matters. And he's talking about more things than just that, right? He says neither slave nor free nor male nor... Like, those are fundamental things of who we are. He says there's none of that because we're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. That kind of doesn't mean anything to us, I don't think, living in our day and age. Because, like, what does it mean to be from Abraham's seed? Unless you were brought up um, in a church or something like that where the Bible is taught, that doesn't really mean anything. But for these people, knowing that they're heirs according to promise, knowing that they're in the lineage of Abraham spiritually, that means everything. Like, God chose Abraham. He, he made promises to Abraham and through Abraham. Abraham was his person. He was the father of faith and of God's people, so to speak. Okay, so for us, we're heirs according to the promise if we're in Christ. This is a big deal. Like, we're, we're children of God. Um, I think one thing we, we need to make sure we understand is that this is what God is accomplishing through Christ, but also through our faith, through, through what Christ has done, through our faith in him, we can be children of God. He says we need to put on Christ, Okay. I don't know if, I, I had to take off my sweater a little bit. I thought it was going to get too hot, a little too muggy. Um, we talk a lot about, like, 
what we need to dress, how we need to dress ourselves for worship or for certain events or anything like that. You know what God wants you to put on in this life? He's only really given one clear uh, dress code that I can tell. Like there's one clear dress code in the New Testament. Put on Christ. You need to cloak yourself in Christ. And there's some stuff about gold earrings. and There's some, some of that. But really, the, the one that is so clear to me is you better put on Christ. And you need to do that, he says, by faith in him. And he says you need to do that by being baptized into him. And if that is true, then you're one in Christ. We are unified as believers in Christ, and we're one family. We're one church. Just like God blessed all the descendants of Abraham because they were one we are the recipients of God's promises when we are in Christ. All right, so those are the three main things that we have or that we are because we are in Christ. But this last one, I just want to point out that if we are in Christ, then Christ is in us. So this is the mutual impact kind of thing. Like we're in him, but now that means he's in us. So over in Galatians chapter 2, these verses will be on the screen as well, but in Galatians chapter 2, We'll go, we'll go ahead and pick up in verse 17. Although 15 and 16 says a lot of things about being in Christ. But we'll pick up in 17. It says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Okay, just think about what he just asked here. He's not talking to people that are outside of Christ. He's talking to people that are in Christ. If our endeavor to be justified in Christ, not to be justified in ourselves or in the law, if we are found, as we are endeavoring to be justified in Christ, if we are too are to be found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Like, does our sin say anything about Jesus? Does it, does it impute sin on him at all? The fact that we are, we are endeavoring to be in him, and yet we still sin. And he says, certainly not. Like, that doesn't say anything about who Jesus is. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I want to continue in sin after I have become in Christ, that says nothing about Jesus. This is everything about me. I prove myself to be a transgressor. I don't prove him to be a transgressor. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I don't remember how old I was. I think I was in college. But verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2 was, was one of the verses that I just wanted to memorize. It was, it was a pretty good one to memorize. Um, it doesn't take too long. But it's only comforting if you're in Christ. But what Paul says is, this is just like what he says about himself. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Well, Paul hadn't died yet. I think, I think what Paul is saying is he has decided and dedicated himself to sacrifice himself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, how does Christ live in me? Because I've been justified in Christ. Now, although we still sin, we can still have our justification in Christ because, we're for, because of forgiveness. We sin, we seek his forgiveness. So then... Christ lives in me. Now, Christ can't live in me if I continue in sin. That's, that's just not, not going to happen. Does Christ have anything to do with 
with sin and with sinfulness? No, he doesn't. So now, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's not every moment of every day, but th- that, that ought to be something we can say. Uh, there are sometimes, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in my bank account. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in my marriage, you know? Um, but there's a lot of things that we could say we could replace by faith in the Son of God with, but it needs to be what Paul says here. So Christ is in us. So as we live, we are showing people Christ. But then in Colossians 2, as he's, I picked up in the, at the end of a verse here in verse 26, but he's talking about to his saints. He says, to them, so to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God chose to make known how great he is, how great his riches are, how 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 wonderful he is, and, and what the hope of glory is. He chose to make known all those things through us, through Christ in us. He could have chosen to do that a different way, but he has chosen to show how great he is to all those people that don't know him through us that know him, through us that are in Christ. It says, him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We need to strive for more maturity in Christ. We need to feel emboldened because he's in us, that we can continue to grow, that, that our, we can grow in our knowledge, we can grow in our understanding. We can just grow closer to him. He is in us, not just so that we can feel at peace. He is in us so the world might know who he is, might see him. And I think this last line that he has here is really interesting. Paul says that he's toiling, he's working, struggling with all whose energy? All Paul's energy? All, it sounds like it's all God's energy. All his energy that he powerfully works within me. I don't know how to perfectly, maybe even adequately articulate some of this. But this is what it sounds like to me when I read these verses. It sounds like once we have been reconciled to God, recreated in Christ, once we are children of God, God has chosen, his plan is that he wants all those people that don't know him, that don't know what it is to be in Christ, he wants them to see what that is like through us, through those that are in him. And it's not us at work, although we're doing works. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, but his energy is in our works. He is powerfully working within us. And not just for our benefit. In this passage, it's not at all for our benefit. It's actually for those people's benefit. Those that don't know him. That's God's plan. But we need to make sure that we are separating ourselves from unholiness and sin the best we can. We need to make sure we're taking on the character of Christ that we see in the Gospels, that we are striving for that maturity and that that perfection, knowing that we will never be perfect, because that's what God wants the world to see. He wants to see Christ in you. Paul, at the end of, towards the end of his life, says this to the Philippians. 
He says, not that I've already obtained this. I put the parentheses in there because in the context, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He says, I haven't already obtained the resurrection from the dead, nor am I already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. To make what my own? Or his own. The resurrection. This perfection. Mat- true maturity. Like, once we have like fully matured in Christ. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That made me think of another song that we sing sometimes. The song, He Will Hold Me Fast. So there's a, there's a temptation when we sing that song, when it says, He Will Hold Me Fast, to, to think it, it truly is only about God has taken hold of me. So I can just like, Jesus take the wheel type mentality, and like I don't have to hold on to him. He's got me. I just, I just don't see... I just don't see it that way. I don't, I don't think God has communicated that. Because what Paul says is, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's a mutual holding on. The difference is our grip is so, like, I don't know, weak compared to God's grip. But he wants us to grasp on to him. He wants us to hold on to him. He wants us to strive, to press on, to reach and strain for what he has promised. That's why he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Sometimes that's the hardest part of that, right? Sometimes the straining forward to what lies ahead, that's exciting, and, and that's easier than forgetting what lies behind. But, but Paul says that's what he's going to do. That's what I'm going to focus on. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, says I press on toward the goal. What is that goal? For the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So when we sing the song, He Will Hold Me Fast, it's not just taking confidence in God. That is, the, that is what that song is about. That's the takeaway. But we need to remember that not, it, not only does God hold on to us, and not only is He faithful, but He has called us to be faithful. He has called us to stay in Christ, to forget what lies behind, to strain toward what lies ahead, and to press on. That song says, for my, le- for my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Are you in Christ? If you're not in Christ, then you won't be raised with him. Your hope is not in him. You will not attain the resurrection from the dead if you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, he has not taken hold of you. If you're in Christ, he has taken hold of you. So you have the promise. Just like a child has the promise from a father, and our father is is great and fulfills his promises. But he wants to be in us, and he wants to be seen in us. Like I said, I hope these things are just reminders more than anything. If you're not in Christ, you need to be in Christ. Um, We were in Tennessee a couple weeks ago, and in our, our in the prayer before we ate, the guy that we were eating with, he just, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but it was it's kind of funny, and it was just, I guess it was, you know, he's just a country guy, so the way sometimes country people say it's just funny, and he was just kind of like, I think he said something like, we, we pray that we remember Jesus, because that's what it's all about, or something like that, and I was like, it is, that's what it's all about, it's all about Jesus, it's all about being in him. 
If you're not in him, you need to be in him. And if you are in him, let him, let him be seen in you. Because he, he's living in you. So that other people that are not in Christ might come to him. I hope these things are helpful. Scott's going to have a song that can be used as a, a song of encouragement, a song if you need to pray because you realize that you haven't been letting Christ live in you. You've been living, you've been shining too much of yourself. Then maybe you need to ask for help and forgiveness. Maybe you need our help. And if that's the case, let someone know. Um, but we sing this song as a way just to encourage us and kind of settle us on the things that are true so we can reach ahead, strain towards the goal. Anyway, we'll go ahead and have that song now.